0: That was powerful. That was some powerful time of singing,
1: wasn't it? I I am really just super encouraged by that, but I'm also like super humbled too because, uh, the the, the subject matter we're going to be talking about today, I I, I feel really weak talking about it. And uh, everybody who's joining us online, uh, just want to say hi to you guys and and just so thankful that you were able to do that today. You were able to join us. Um, And I am just praying that that this morning is an opportunity for us to do a little more of what we just had a taste of, which was stepping into almost a supernatural excellence where God is inviting us into the sweetness of his presence and his love as we're hearing about him today. So I'm just double checking. I'm okay. I am okay. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I got a haircut. I got a haircut. That's great. Thank you. I was waiting. Hold on. I'm just focusing on myself for a second. Okay. Whatever you said, I'm sure it was good. Okay. Um, Well, you know, everybody, today we are starting a conversation. Everybody online, you can still see me, right? I I can't see you because I got my mirror here, but it's okay. So we're starting a conversation about worship. Now, worship is a really dynamic conversation to have, right? Because I mean, everybody has different ideas of what worship is. And what we're actually gonna do, we're actually doing a two-part. Um, we're doing a two-part conversation about worship. Sorry, hold on a second. Okay, those pores, those pores. I'm talking to you, pores. You close up, all right. Okay, here. So we're starting a two-part conversation about worship, and then this Sunday is our first part conversation. And next Sunday, we're going to come back and we're going to continue this conversation. But what we're going to be talking about this Sunday is, is how do I personally worship with excellence? And we're going to do a deep dive into just the very basics of what that term worship is. And then next Sunday, when you come back, it's going to be a little bit of an interactive service. Right, Robin? Interactive service, but... Okay, It's an interactive service. I'm inviting you back for interactive service. And what we're going to do is that we're going to actually have a conversation about what it looks like to worship God with excellence as a community. And so this is part one. We're going to jump into the rest of that um, next week. So I'm asking the question, how do we worship God with excellence? So you have to define what worship is. Everybody has different definitions, right? Is worship music? Some people said, yes, I mean, you can, yeah, you can worship with music, correct? Right, Robin? Yeah, of course you can. Of course you can, bro. Yeah. Okay. Now, no, but can you worship, um, but yes, of course you can worship with music, but you can worship with other things too, right? Right. So you've you've heard that too. Like you've heard things in church culture, like worship is also a lifestyle, right? So it's it's not just when we come together and sing, but it's also when we, um, it's also how we live our lives for God. That is also worship. And then there's also another form, too, where we say, okay, well, it's like, you know, it's, it's a place, right? It's a, it's a place you go to. We have a worship center or a place, a worshiping community. And so we come together and we worship together in a community. And then so we call that worship. But really, we want to boil down and find out what does that term actually mean? And Robin, you're smirking at me. There's a little glint in your eye. Let's 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 just just say focus on the Bible. What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says this: worship. If you look at everything that that how that word is used, it's just a response. Worship is a response to seeing Jesus. You know, that's what it is. It's a response to encountering His beauty, His handsomeness, His faint stubble. It's an encounter with Him. And we're going to look at John chapter 4, verses 7 to 26. Again, John chapter 4, verses 7 to 26. For those of us who are online, we're going to be looking at that together, and it's in the English Standard Version. And what we're going to see is that we're going to see the narrative of the woman at the well. Now, the woman at the well is going about her day. She's just going about her life, and then she encounters Jesus, but she can't see him she sits down and she's right across the way probably more than 2 meters <laughs> away from Jesus but she can't see who he is there's something obstructing her vision of Jesus now hold on a second guys just a little something there there's something obstructing her view of the person of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus does is he interrupts her daily life to bring her to a place where she can worship properly. He interrupts her daily life so that she could actually worship with excellence. That's the whole point of that narrative. Isn't that amazing? And what we see in that scripture too is that she has different things that are hindering that. She has her history. So she talks about her history. You know, my, our fathers did this and our fathers did that. But then we also find out that she's, she's had many husbands. So we realize her shame is a reason why she can't worship with excellence. But then lastly, we also realize that it's, it's her religiosity. Religiosity is the way I want to say it properly. Sorry for everybody online. Religiosity. Everyone say that with me. Religiosity. Robin, say that again. Religiosity. You got it, bro. Okay. Now, those three things were in the way that she could not worship God properly. And the thing is, is that Jesus doesn't tell her, okay, deal with those three things so you can see me properly. What we see is something so beautiful. Jesus comes and he gently removes. He gently removes those three obstacles, those three obstructions to seeing him properly. I'm having fun with this. Can you see yourselves a little bit, anybody? Romper room, anybody? Anybody? Okay, having a bit of fun with this. Do you guys feel like I was in the room with you, with the mirror? Was you had a little bit of trouble communicating with me with the mirror? A little bit. Did you feel like I was acknowledging you? Probably not. You see, we have something to consider when we talk about worshiping properly. Because the truth is, is this is that we don't have to come back to a heart of worship to worship properly. Great song, everybody. We don't actually have to come back to a heart of worship because we have a heart of worship. Because your spirit that was incapable of worshiping God with excellence, the the spirit that you were born with that was disconnected from God, that got crucified with Jesus on the cross. Can I get an amen to that? It was crucified with Jesus on the cross. So that when Jesus rose again. On the third day. Not only. Was that. That spirit that could not worship God properly. Removed and bur- and buried. Key word. Buried. It's removed. It's gone. It's not coming back. But. Also, Jesus, when he came back to life, he gave us a new spirit, a new essence of our life. Adam was dust and dirt. He was dust and dirt before God breathed a spirit into him. It's the essence of a human being, your spirit. And what happened? We got a new spirit, a spirit that was resurrected with Jesus, and it is more than competent in worshiping God with excellence. And not only that, but it's also been joined with God's spirit. Can I get an amen to that? It's also been joined with God's spirit. And so now we're also empowered to worship with excellence. And so Matt Redmond was kind of right. Yeah. We do need to rediscover a heart of worship. But why is that? It's because we have an enemy. We have something in us that's not of us. It's something called the flesh, something we inherited from our great, 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 great grandfather. I didn't even do it justice. Adam, we inherited from him. It's something called the flesh. It's indwelling sin. It's a noun. It's more than an action. It's something that wants to take your natural desires to serve God and distort it and try to help you find life and help you find joy and help you satisfy those needs apart from God. And it might very well look like a mirror. We want to worship God. Much like the woman at the well, we're going about our daily lives, but the flesh wants to put up a mirror and he holds up the mirror and he says, look at your history. Look at your parents, what your parents did, what they didn't do. Look at your socioeconomic status and, how far you've come or how low you are now. The flesh wants to say, look at all the things you did wrong. Look at your shame. Look at everything that you did that you, do ne- you never want to show anybody at any point in time. Look at that. How can you worship with excellence? Look at you. You sinful, dirty Christian. You better get your act together. Because you could see who you are and what you did. The flesh also says since you're a dirty, rotten Christian who needs to work on your life, you also need to do things to be acceptable to God. You need to now do, I don't know, you got. you got to tithe properly. You've got you to gotta talk properly. You can never show anybody that you're going through something. You can't ever show anybody that you're struggling because if they knew you were struggling, they would reject you. So you better look the part. Call that religion. It's not a relationship with God, and it's not a relationship with the body of Christ when you're faking it to make it. Flesh wants to show you a mirror. He's obstructing your view of Jesus. You cannot worship properly if you're looking in a mirror. Because what's going to happen when you come together to worship, or as you're going about your life Monday to Friday, trying to worship God, is that you're going to be looking at yourself, looking to receive and experience something from your empty source that that doesn't have anything to give. But when we look at the person of Jesus Christ, we no longer are looking to receive worship. We're actually just being ourselves. We're being worshipers. What we've been created to be, we've been given a heart of worship. And so that's what we're gonna be diving into to look at today. So we wanna answer that question. So how do I personally worship with excellence? Well, it's by trusting Jesus to speak. Not you doing it on your own ability, catch me on this. Not you doing your own ability, but you trusting Jesus to speak into your history, your shame, and your religiosity. And when you do that, you will experience Jesus working in and through you more than a lifestyle. He will empower you to respond to him. More than what we do on a Sunday morning, more than coming together for two hours to sing songs. Monday through to Sunday, he wants to empower you to live through you and have you experience freedom from performance, anxiety, and not only that also inspire you um, and and inspire others to trust Jesus and also worship and be who they are to be proper worshipers. So before I do anything else, let's just pray quickly. We're going to jump into this, this book together, um, this narrative together and we'll learn um, how Jesus wants to set us free to worship him. So let's do that. Um, Dear Jesus, uh, it's fun to kind of carry this around, but I know that even as I'm speaking, I, I have my own mirrors, you know, what I did or didn't do right in preparing this message. And so I'm asking, even as I'm talking, that you would put the mirror down for me and help me to see you as I'm talking. And as, is that the same for me? I pray you do the same for everyone else in Jesus name. Amen. Okay. So, worship is a response to seeing Jesus. It's a response to God. It's one act, but it has multiple expressions. Worship in Hebrew, actually, uh, in Hebrew, it means this. It means to bow down. It has multiple values, but it has three values. You use it to say worship. You could use it to say bow down. Or you could use it to say kiss. Ooh. Just got excited. Okay? So worship in Hebrew could actually have three meanings. It could be worship, bow down, or kiss. And, and, the, and the interesting thing is that Hebrew is such a, uh, it's such a picturesque language that the goal, uh, that, that one, of the, one of the pictures that are behind that word kiss is this. It's like a dog licking its master's hand. And who went, oh. But who here is a pet owner? Hands up. Online, who here's a pet owner, right? And, and you know what it's like to have, you know, a, 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 a dog or a cat or, or an animal that you cherish embrace you. And that's how they embrace you. They show their love for you because you've loved them. And they, and they show it by licking master's hand. When I first read that, I was like, that's a little bit degrading, maybe a little bit humiliating. But look at that picture. It's a response. And what is it a response to? It's a response to seeing God. The first time it was actually used is actually in Genesis chapter 18, verse 2. And it's when Abraham is like um, encounters those three angels that come to tell him that he is going to have a son through Sarah. And Sarah's gonna have a son in her old age. And he sees them and he bows down. It's the first time it's ever used. It's a response to a, maybe a general, could be a fear but it also could be a response of love. And we understand that in the new covenant. Why? Because we understand that we love because he first loved us. So what's a proper worship response? It's it's when God initiates something and we respond with affection, or we respond with trust, or we respond with love towards him. It's, it's a beautiful picture. So, so we see at first, like it, it's a response, but now we want to look at, okay, well, how do we properly respond to him? So we're going to dive in now into John chapter seven, verse, um, sorry, John chapter four, uh, verses seven to 14. And let's read this together. Um, you don't have to read it together with me. I'm just going to read it. You can follow with me. Okay. So John chapter four, verse seven, it says this, a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, asked me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? And it says in parentheses, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. John wants to make you know that like, this is really ir- ir- irrational. This should not be happening. So Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, you are nuts. Because you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. So where do you plan on getting this magical living water? And then she she kind of disses Jesus a little bit. I want you to feel that. Are you greater than our father Jacob? What do you know? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her very gently, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, I have to say the Samaritan woman's response is is, is fair. It's fair, right? Because she doesn't know who Jesus is, right? So she's like, who do you think you are? What are you talking about living water? That sounds kind of crazy. I mean, her, her only reference point is really Jacob because Jacob dug this well. Her only reference point is her history. Who does this Jesus say he is? Like, who does Jesus think he is by saying this? And so she makes a statement to Jesus that is very in, indicative of her mirror, she says, Jesus, this is a trustworthy well. It's part of our history, Jews and Samaritans, that Jacob, our father, dug this well, okay? And it's a trustworthy well that he dug, and it still has water in it. So it's a really good well. And not only that, but he also, his sons drank from this well, and not only his sons, but his livestock did. So it's, it's, it's like a highly, it's very, very good at supplying water for people. It's an excellent well, and Jacob did this, and we are here because Jacob did this. So why are you talking to me about living water? You're out of your mind. Now, what's interesting here is that she's saying a truth. There is a truth. The dangerous thing about a truth is that it can distract you from the truth. I want you to receive that for a second. Satan doesn't mind us believing a truth if it distracts us from the truth. Because the truth was sitting right there across the way from her. Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the the life. He was standing right across from her. He doesn't mind you focusing on that. I'll give you an example of that. I've used this before. um, But uh, my friend Jeremy Ballard and I I have different colored skin. What? What are you talking about? No, you don't. You're like, yeah, Jeremy's black, right? Jeremy and I have different colors of skin. Now we might be from the same human race, you know, we're descended from Adam, right? But we have different colors of skin. We're different in that way. Now I, I could treat him like a brother, but that difference is still there. It's still very true. And I could treat him well. I mean, that's still very true. But here's a here's the truth. You see, if I had a biological brother, not only the same colored skin, but the same genes, same DNA, right? Or similar DNA. If that was the case, and and by the grace of God, it's not the case, but if I had a biological brother who did not know Jesus, he did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of him, I would have less in common with my biological brother than I do with Jeremy. Why is that? Because what is eternal? The Spirit of God. So one day, this flesh and blood will be returned to the earth, and I will receive a new body. But the Spirit that unites Jeremy and I is the Holy Spirit, and it is immortal and eternal, and that connects us for all time. Which one is reality? Our truth can distract us from the truth. That is something that the church has struggled with for years. And when the church has got it right, has looked past cultures, looked past differences, when the church has got it right, amazing things happened. So, so Satan doesn't mind you believing a truth if it distracts you from the truth. So she brings up mirror. look at the truth. This is the history. This is our history. This, this is what, this is, this, is, this is Jacob's, wow, what are you talking about? But Jesus speaks to her need. I love that. He speaks to her need. He knows why she's there. He speaks to her first need, which is getting water. And he says, Listen, you're looking for physical water. I got better than that. Girl, I got better than that. I got living water. And I want to give that to you. And if you knew who was across from you, if you saw the truth who was sitting across from you, he would offer you that same living water. Here's a danger. I'm going to use music as an example, because music is an expression. You see, worship is a response to God. It's one act, but it has multiple expressions. So music is one of those expressions. Now, when we come together, I can bring my history mirror. I can bring my history mirror, and the music is playing, and there is no bass and drums. Come on, Nikki, there is no bass and drums. Honestly, that's what I like. That's part of my history. I I come from a Caribbean background. We like rhythm. We like bass and drums. I want more bass and drums. And I want it to be loud. And I want to worship until 3 p.m. That's my history. I bring my mirror to to our worship gathering. And I'm standing there and I'm like, "Ah, I don't really like this. You know why? Because I don't see myself in it. Eh, I think I'll check out a worship this time. They're not playing the song I like. That's not my jam. They don't know my jam. My jam is trading my sorrows. 1998. Trading my sorrows. That's my jam. And so I don't interact. Disconnect. What happens when I do that? I'm here to receive worship. I'm not here to be a worshiper. I'm missing out on the opportunity to express what is natural to me. I have the Spirit of God in me, and it is only by the Spirit of God that you worship. We're going to learn about that very shortly. It's by the Spirit of God that we worship. okay? And I can miss out on an opportunity to be joined together with the body of Christ and sing openly and experience Jesus. I'll miss out. I can miss out on the opportunity of being with others, and I have to miss out on the opportunity of blessing them. But you can bring this mirror anywhere. It doesn't have to be worship. It could be serving in children's ministry. It could be how you handle, you know, being a welcomer out front. It could be, you know, how you do AV. It could be how you live your life Monday to Friday. You keep on looking for opportunities to say no to Jesus because you can't see yourself. The flesh is not content to do that, to have you looking at your mirror of your history to deny the opportunity to worship God with excellence. I don't want anything to do with that. I'll give you one last little story. I'm having fun with this, okay? My wife and I went to the Grand Canyon um, uh, years back. We went for, for my wife's 30th birthday, and it was really fun. Oh, so sorry, honey. Her, her 21st birthday. And we went, and it was just, it was it was awesome. I mean, anyone who's ever been there, and I brought my camera no, it was a phone. Sorry, it wasn't actually like a digital camera. Some I mean, of you were nervous about that. No, it was like, a, it was a, my phone. And I brought my phone out and I'm like, okay, Deanne, I want you to sit here. And I want the canyon in the background. And there's a coyote. Don't pet the coyote. Okay, honey, here we go. I'm going to film you. And I'm like, oh, your hair's going to look really nice in this backdrop. More in the sun, Deanne, more in the sun. And I'm doing this and I'm just like, this stinks. Like all the pictures. I mean, Deanne looks great, but I can't get the Grand Canyon. It just doesn't look right. And I realized I wasn't enjoying myself. I was totally dissatisfied. And then I put the phone down and I said, I can't do this anymore. You know why? Because I couldn't take it in. It was immense. It was beautiful. It was beyond what a camera could capture. Just having your phone out would have been the most despicable thing because I would have left and not enjoyed and experienced. And that's what the flesh wants to do, it wants to rob you of the joy of experiencing and re- experiencing Jesus living through you but also experiencing that 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 natural response that you have to to respond to the person of Jesus Christ and his beauty man it, it, it's terrible in that way in that sense now hopefully that captures it for you so again how do i worship with excellence well by trusting Jesus to speak into my history my shame my religiosity. And when I do that, what happens? I experience Jesus living in and through me. And I also have experienced freedom from performance anxiety. And I can also inspire others to trust in Jesus. So let's keep reading, okay? So um, let's read John chapter 4, verse 15. Okay, It says this, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water. Speaking of water, oh, The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty anymore and have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said, I love this. Go call your husband. Come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said, you are right. You're right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. And what you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I wonder if there was more there and it got left out. You just wonder. We'll just stop there. She can't help but, but discern that Jesus is some kind of inspired person. So she calls him a prophet. And what we see later on, she just kind of changes the subject. She doesn't want to go there. But Jesus right there in that moment gently corrects her. And he, and he recognizes, he knows her story. And he brings it to light. And she tried to change the subject so she could run away from this man who is an inspired person, somebody who can look into her life. She's trying to hide from him. Sometimes we do that too. I want to just illustrate right now, like just a little bit of like what this woman would have experienced. You have to understand that women did not have the same rights as men at that time. I mean, for them to be provided for, they needed a man, for them to have sustenance of life. They needed someone to care for them and provide for them. And so here she is, She. You know, she's, she's outside the Jewish law. You know, she's had a husband, had a man give her a certificate of divorce five times. Now this last guy she's with, she's like, I'm not even going to go through this. I just need a man to survive. Can you imagine the shame and the desperation that this woman is experiencing? You'll find out too, as you read scripture as well, that she was there at the noon hour. She was there at a time, you've heard this before probably, she was was there at a time when not a lot of people would be at the well. Because if they were at the well, they would see her and she might get ridiculed. So she went at a time when not a lot of people were there. She was hiding. I love this. Jesus knew she was going to be there. He was there right in time. She thought she was just going about her day, hiding her shame, doing her best to live her life. There was Jesus waiting for her. The kind gentle lover of our soul, waiting for us as we're going about our everyday lives. We're ignoring Him. We're hiding behind our shame. The flesh wants to put up your mirror and say, look, 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 look. This is what's wrong with you. You know that. You know what you did. You will not be accepted properly. You need to hide. That's, just, that's all you need to do. You know that's the next thing to do. You've been doing it for years. Don't talk to me about how this, this now all of a sudden you're you're a Jesus follower that now you can come out of hiding. You know what you did. But Jesus, didn't, Jesus knew what she did and he was willing to talk to her and he was willing to interact with her. I, I want to give a quick story now. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit different in the sense that I, I had this experience, it's kind of similar, to but a little bit different. I, I, I had an experience when I was in uh, high school and uh, I had a experience where I came to faith and I was got really like overzealous with God. Like I was like, oh my gosh, like it was a little bit of religiosity there. And I was, you know, a very, very charismatic group of people I was hanging around with. And we were just like, you know, you got to tell people about Jesus and you got to get excited. And you got to get your whole school saved. Anybody been around those folks? Can I apologize for them in just in advance? I mean, we did, we did a lot of good, and I, I, I want to explain that, too. Um, but I went to this one camp experience, this one retreat experience with, uh, through high school, through youth group. And I just got super excited about God. And I was just super excited about my faith. And I went with a group of friends afterwards. one went with a group of friends to McDonald's, a holy place. Okay? It's the new Jacob's Well, McDonald's. So here we are, we're going to McDonald's and there's a group of us. We're on our lunch break and there's this girl serving um, us. So she's like taking our order and stuff like that. And I'm just feeling super inspired. So I just did something crazy. I was just like, she served us everything. And I said, Jesus loves you. And she looked at me, she seen her face. She was like, "Oh," uh, uh, yeah. and she started crying and then she took off. And I was standing there, I was like, oh shoot, what did I do? And then my friends were like, What did you do? <laughs> and then my one friend said, like, maybe she knows a Jesus who she really hates. <laughs> maybe she knows a Jesus so she like doesn't like at all, like, or something. And a person named Jesus. I don't know what he's trying to say about it. Um, but anyway, she 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 saw that, she, 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 she heard that from me and she took off, and I never saw her again. And afterwards, I felt like, oh, maybe that wasn't really cool. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. But afterwards, I thought about it, you know, a little bit, and thought to myself, you know what? In that moment, maybe, maybe she needed to hear that. Maybe in that moment, there was an opportunity for her to connect with what she knew was true—that Jesus did love her. But I'm not saying the story to pat myself on the back, because let me say this: after you have a, you know, mountain experience, or you have these experiences where you you're filled with the love of God, you filled with the joy of God. You know, it's one thing to say that happened, but it's one thing to say, like, you can never have that unless you go back to those retreat experiences. You go back to those mountaintop experiences. And I used to do that over and over again. I'm like, okay, i got to go back to this retreat, and i got to go back to this. I have to experience that joy again, because when I experience that, then I'm free from shame, and I can tell people, Jesus, that Jesus will be saved, and people will be saved, and blah, 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 blah. But when I wasn't able to go to it, I, I kind of sunk back into myself and then shame kind of set back in and then I wasn't able to express myself or express the joy that I had. And isn't that such the case even here with this woman at the well? She's here at the well. She's just looking for, she's just looking for water for now and kind of leave and come back. But Jesus wants to offer her living water and living water from where? Living water from inside that springs to eternal life. What that's a description of is salvation. So each and every one of us don't need to go back to a mountaintop experience to express worship. We don't need to go back to a mountaintop experience to feel love, to feel free from shame, to feel free from rejection. We have that life inside us. It's inside us already. So I didn't really come to that realization until maybe about three years ago. Still looking for mountaintop experiences. Oh, this speaker will inspire me. Oh, this book will inspire me. Or oh, this worship CD will inspire me. Then I'll feel joy again. Then I'll feel like I'm good. You know, I'm going to go on a binge. I'm going to go on a Jesus binge. You know what? Everyone read on a Jesus binge. You're like, I'm so shameful. I got to correct everything in my life. And you just go on a Jesus binge and then you crash afterwards because it's hard to maintain in the flesh. Because what's actually motivating that is not, that type of worship is not a response to Jesus. It's a response to your shame. See, worship is a response to Jesus. It's not a response to your history. Worship is a response to Jesus. not a response to your shame. Worship is a response to Jesus. It's not a response to your religious activity. All those things will block it out. But when we get to that place where we understand that we have been made new from the inside out, the person of Jesus Christ, By his death and resurrection has made us righteous in God. That that was the receipt of resurrection. It wasn't just for the sake of showing off that he was God, it was to make you righteous. And so we have new inspired hearts that want to worship God. And when we trust that, and we don't trust what the flesh tries to show us, then we can have, we can experience Jesus living inside us, we can be free from shame. And we can be free from religiosity. It's, it's, it's beautiful. So let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going, okay? John chapter 4, verses 20 and 26. Let's look at this together. So John chapter 4, verse 20 says this. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know strange statement. You worship what you do not know. Actually, just let us see that for a second. Because we could do a lot of religious activity, right? And call it worshiping Jesus. Well, really, it's just a response to shame. Again, worship is a response to Jesus. It's not a response to your history. It's not a response to shame. It's not a response to your need for religious activity or your own pride. You worship what you do not know. But we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, Oh, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he's going to tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I, who speak to you, am he. You see, her determination to hold on to her past, her past way of being made acceptable, how she was supposed to worship. The Samaritans and the Jews had a split. They had a split. And... And what the Samaritans did is they said the Samaritans, but I mean, the nation of Israel, what they did is that they said, OK, we're not going to worship the way the Jews worship. We used to be part of the nation of Israel, but now we're separated from everybody else in Judah in that area. And and this the sort of Bethlehem and, and Hebron and Jerusalem, we're separating from them and we're going to go worship on our own mountain. We're going to do things separately. And their leader set them up a golden calf for them to worship. Just sounds familiar, like some other idolatry. Um, Um, idol worship that they used to do and so they said this is how we're going to worship more than history this is the way that they felt that made them acceptable however the thing is that there was so much shame in that experience that in some ways they were separated from worshiping God the way that they were originally designed as a nation to do it and so her determination to hold on to her pathway of being made acceptable prevented her in that moment from seeing Jesus but it is evident though that she wanted to be accepted. Because that was always a conflict with the Jews. We're not accepted because we don't worship the way they do. And so she had to put it to him. She said, are, I, I know the Messiah is going to tell us everything. Are, are you telling me you're a Messiah? Are you telling me that I'm talking to the Messiah right now, that, that I'm accepted? Are you telling me that? And he says, I who speak to you am he. And when she realized the Messiah was talking to her, she realized her acceptance. And what was the next response? She went into the village that she was from, and many, it says many people, came to believe in Jesus. She was inspired... She was inspired by the truth that she was accepted. And by that inspiration, she was able to worship by telling other people in response to seeing Jesus. Other people about Jesus and other people came to the faith and other people got to see Jesus. Do You understand what happens here when we lay down our religiosity? This is a great picture of what happens when we lay down all of our reasons and rationales for why we could be accepted by God other than the blood of Jesus. When we lay that down, it, it ignites joy in us. You remember the first time when you realized that you were loved by God without any requirements except for the blood of Jesus. How did it make you feel? Well, it made me feel okay. I, 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 was, I mean, that I was pretty good. I, I'd like some water from the well, please. I, I, you No, know, you, you, you were filled with joy. You were filled with joy, and you wanted to tell other people about it, and and you wanted to share it with other people. This is the beauty of what happens when we see Jesus. Worship is a response to seeing God. It's a response to seeing Jesus. When that happens, it stirs up worship in us. You don't mind me saying this, ladies, but worship, I just want to use this description. Worship is very virile. It's like like there's a seed, like when when it happens and someone is expressing Jesus Christ in them, in their daily lives, and you've seen it. People who, who who are going beyond their actual natural ability to love somebody, when they're going beyond their actual ability to care for somebody. And Jesus is doing that work through them. When you see it, you are inspired. It triggers something in you. It's like a seed that's planted in you. Conception happens and you have to, i got to let it out. You know, you see that and you want to worship. You want to praise God when you see people living by the Spirit. How do you worship? You have to worship in the Spirit and in truth. It's something that Jesus does in you. You have been made to worship with excellence. Now you have something that wants to remind you, something that's in your body that wants to remind you that you still have to perform. You still have to show up and look the part. I had a friend of mine too, around the same time, we had a, you know, when I was talking about high school and talking about like, like the, you know, we're going to have this charismatic experience. We want to have a lot of people get saved and, you know, want revival at your high school. And I remember there was one girl in our group and, and in her church, you had to wear a, you had to wear like a suit and tie if you were a guy and you had to wear like slacks and like really fancy shoes. Who wears slacks? Are slacks a thing? Anyway, I just had to say that. But anyway, everybody had to dress up fancy. You had to to go to church fancy. And I remember asking her, I remember we were talking about, like, you know, how to worship God or whatever. I remember she said, like, well, if if you want to worship God properly, you have to dress the part. You have to make sure that you look great. And you have to dress really well. And I thought, why? And then I just thought, why? But for whatever reason, it came out and I said, why? And then she said, well, why wouldn't you want to give God your best? She said it was so much confidence. (laughs) She said it was so much confidence that I remember being stunned. Like, oh, sounds true, I guess. (laughs) Of course I want to give God my best. I want him to love me. I I want to give him my my best. So I just didn't respond to it. I just didn't have a response. Can you imagine that? I mean, you guys want to see me in a suit and tie, right? I mean, like everybody wants that. Like everybody wants to dress up really well for church. I mean, like, listen, you could do that, for sure, for sure. Absolutely, that's, there's this there's, there's logic behind that in the sense that we do want to give our, our best to God. It's a truth. However, the other truth is, is that whatever we have to offer is not enough. If we want to worship God properly, the spirit, the Bible says this, it says we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God. And glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence, everyone say no confidence, we put no confidence in the flesh. I mean, David danced in his undergarments. I, that, that's why I should have told her. I forgot that. I should have told her that. David danced in his undergarments. You can't say that. Not only that, but God accepted his 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 response. He accepted his response as worship. You see, it, it wasn't necessarily about what he wore. Is that God knew that it was, a, it was a, a response to seeing Him and seeing God's faithfulness, and He received it. Now, we're not going to create, be careful now, we're not creating now a, a, a worship team that does this. However, this is a comment. This is a comment on what is happening in our hearts. That in our hearts, in our innermost beings, our central us, our new spirits want to express worship to God, want to respond to God you know, in a, in a, with a lifestyle of worship, not just how we sing on Sunday mornings, not just for two hours. It doesn't have to be the way that we want it to be. It is, it, I don't have to feel good about myself to, to ne- in this moment to necessarily worship. I don't need to have everything together in my life to come and worship God properly. It's not necessary You have a heart that wants to express love and desire to God. And so for us to do this, and this is the next thing that's very important. Romans chapter 12, verse one says this. It says, I appeal to you. This is what Paul says. I appeal to you brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's that word again. This is your spiritual worship. You present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, some people would argue, and they'd say, "Okay, holy and acceptable means that you have to be holy and acceptable." But well, let's look at that whole verse, right? It says, "Present your bodies." That's the only command, as a living sacrifice. Well, did you have to do something to be living? No, God, God made you living. We're we're alive by the by by the power and the by the blood of Jesus. And and by a sacrifice, we've been made alive that way. So we present ourselves as a living sacrifice. And not only that, but we present ourselves as what we are, holy and acceptable to God. And that is our spiritual worship. Rather than presenting ourselves in our own ability, trying to be work, trying trying to make it happen, try to be acceptable to God. No, we've been made acceptable. So we present ourselves, our bodies, as living sacrifices. We present our bodies as being holy and acceptable to God. That is your spiritual worship. When we allow Jesus to lay down the mirror of history, we allow Jesus to lay down the mirror of shame, we allow Jesus to lay down the mirror of acceptable performance, then we can fully engage in worship. Uh, Louis Giglio said this. He said um, in, in a podcast I, I, I um, listened to recently, somebody was talking to him. Louis Giglio is a very popular speaker, kind of founded the whole passion movement where we get a lot of our worship songs from. And the and the guy who was interviewing him said, Louis, what do pastors need to know to to enable worship in their in their churches? And he said, Pastors just need to preach the gospel, the whole gospel. They need to preach the righteousness by faith. And he said, your people will worship. You see, the gospel is the engine of worship. And God, by his great mercy, right? By the mercy, it says that right there. By God's mercy, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So I wanna close with this quickly and I'm gonna invite the worship team back, okay? And we're gonna sing again. Cause now you're all inspired, right? So now you're going to sing again, right? I set you up. Doesn't matter how you don't have to sing loud but what I'm really hoping right now is that you've embraced, you've embraced what Jesus has done for you and that you, make an, an, you take the opportunity right now to present yourself as a holy and living sacrifice acceptable to God. Whatever that response is, let it be what it is. Let Him express it through you. When we do that, We experience Jesus living in and through us, and we will experience freedom from performance anxiety, trying to please people. But not only that, just like the woman at the well who went back to Samaritan Village and told other people about Jesus, you will inspire other people to trust Jesus. Because when I see you worship authentically, with Jesus being expressed in and through you, when I see that, I want to worship. I want to experience what you're experiencing, or I recognize something that I already know and so I just got to let it out. Just got to get behind it. I want to say this one thing, just to kind of intro what we're going to be talking about next week. I love stained glass windows. Um, grew up going to Catholic churches, went to Catholic school. Love stained glass windows and always been fascinated with them. And the thing with stained glass windows is, is that th- to make them, you actually have to take glass and you have to, you have to mold it and, and almost, you no, know, sorry, actually, first and foremost, you have to take sand. And you got to take wood ash and you got to burn it, break it down, mold it together so that you start seeing through it. And then you stain it. You stain that glass. And you take that and then you take another one. and You do the same to another one. You take another one. And you do the same to another one. And then you fit it together on a board, a very large board, uh, according to the image that you want to make. And what I love about that is that there's a picture of us You see, not only does Jesus um, want to set down our history and our shame and our religiosity, but he wants to redeem it. We've been beat up and broken and burnt and stained by things in our past, shame and and how times we tried so hard but we didn't make it. But Jesus wants to take all those experiences and he wants to form it and make it beautiful. And what happens is, this is the beauty of the church, is that my history, shame, and religiosity that I rejected, Jesus says, no, I'm going to redeem that, I'm going to use it, and I'm going to use Jeremy's of all people. I'm going to use Jeremy's as well, I'm going to put it together, and then I'm going to use Barry's, and I'm going to put it together, and I'm going to use Stephen's, and I'm going to put it together, and what he does, he takes all of our brokenness, everything that's been broken down in our lives over the years, he puts it together, and he makes a mosaic Tapestry, a beautiful picture, and it's not done yet because when he's done, he lifts it up and he lets his light shine through it. The beauty thing, beautiful thing about stained glass windows is that they were used to tell stories. And when we as a community let Jesus deal with all those three things, when we as a community learn that together, he is putting us together into a beautiful story, a story about himself, that other people will see, right? Because when we love each other, that's how people know that we're His disciples. They see His story at work in our lives. He brings us together in unity. He shines His light through us. The end goal of worship, when we talk about it next week, the end goal of worship is unity. That's the litmus test because we've been invited into the Trinity. The Father is the one we worship, but we worship by the Spirit and in the truth. And who is the truth? Jesus. We've been invited into a unity and purpose and broadcasting the gospel, but in a diversity of expression. Anyway, I'll leave you with that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this time. I pray that uh, everything that I said that was rubble, it wasn't worth it, it wasn't necessary, let it fall away. But everything that was you, and that was you speaking through me, let, let it stick. Help us to receive that. I say in name Jesus' name. Amen.